0: And we will be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to jump around a little bit. There's a few references on your bulletin you'll see uh, for that as well. So I'm going to start with a story. You got a roll in there, Brian? Yep. a boy. been rolling ever since you started. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um. I got, a, I got this story from my brother. I rem, That's where I heard it first. I'm pretty sure he heard it from Ravi Zacharias, but I'm not 100% sure about that. It's a good story, and it hits the point home today. So there, there was a factory in South America that built different items for sale. And the locals, they were simple people, and they pretty much had everything they needed. Um, anything more than than that, they would have... Um, It'd have been silly, maybe, to have. Um, so they didn't know that they needed more. They didn't know that they needed a simpler lifestyle. And as the company came in, they went around and they showed all the products that they were going to produce. And the people got excited. And said, well, how do we get this? Well, you come to work for us, and then you can get these items. And so they all started applying for jobs. They got work, and um, Pretty soon, they had a hard time having people come back and, and work, and they brought in an expert, and the expert, they went out, and they discovered that once the people, they could afford what they were making in the factory, they decided that they didn't need any more beyond that because they already had what they needed, and they all quit. They could afford what they had. They, they got this new item and it made life easier. And they all decided to quit. So the expert came back to the owner of the factory and told him what he found out. And he offered him one solution. Here's the solution to your problem. He said, distribute your catalog throughout the communities around the factory, and you will have all the help that you need. Well, the owner at that time, he questioned the expert because it cost quite a bit to get that catalog printed and down into that area. And it wasn't going to be a cheap expense But the expert said, Sir, the people came because they saw the little that you offered here from the factory. However, this is but a fraction of what you have to offer them. If they see all that they could have, they will come back to work and get even more for themselves. The owner listened, and soon he never had a labor shortage. And how is that with us with our sin? You know, many times we get into and we see that um, we have everything we need, but as soon as we see, the other side of the fence, and we see the grass is greener over there, and we decide that we need just a little bit more. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller, when asked, um, you're the richest man in the world, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. And it shows the, the deep problem that we have in our sin nature and how we are uh, going throughout. So Satan is still using these same tricks today. We need to Keep our eyes on Jesus to overcome the temptations of this world. And so we will go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the first seven verses and go from there. The serpent, he was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you cannot eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are now allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced and she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit Looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. First point this morning, I went through um, all my points. And I looked at the negative side, which is what we see a lot of times in this passage. And then I went and made my point the positive side, which is take a stand. Because anytime you look at sin, if we are able to take a stand against it, we can stand up under uh, what the Lord has commanded us, and we have an opportunity to um, win on those things. So Satan is the great deceiver. And he brings in this temptation and he distorts the truth of our Lord. He starts with a distortion of the truth that looks as he looks for holes in our armor. And in this case, Eve uh, points out, she says, we can't eat it, nor can we even touch it. Well, did the Lord say that to Adam? No. So how did Eve find that out? My guess is is that's what Adam taught her. I don't know that for sure, but um, the Lord gave the commandments to Adam. Adam was supposed to give them on, and he added to the commandments. Well, it it makes sense. If we don't touch it, then we won't even have to worry about eating it. But what's the problem when we do touch it? Now it looks like it's safe to eat as well. So when he... We got to remember two, that God's word is true. And we don't want to add to it. And when he tells us something, we can take it to the bank. It's important to know it and to recognize it. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away from it, but we want to take it as it is. And so in verse one, Satan starts to question God and, and maybe his authority and says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, right there, that's a straight up not what God said, right? No. But he is looking for a chink in the armor, isn't he? And so Eve, she was ready for this deception. And so she looks at verse two and says, of course, we may eat from every tree in the garden. Well, now she's included every tree. But in verse three, she continues on it starts to get a little dicey. The only fruit from From the garden, in the middle of the, or the only, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not able to eat. God said, "You must not eat of it, or even touch it. If you do, you will die." Of course, Satan says, "You won't. You won't die." And right away, they don't die. Adam lives to be a nine hundred and fifty-ish, give or take ten years, right? he lives a long time before he passes away. If we look at that today, wow, that's nearly a century. that is amazing, long time, and he was blessed with that long life. Uh, yes, he was blessed with that. Yes, it was a v- very long time, but it's not forever, is it? And when we're able to eat of the tree of life, which God gave us in Genesis chapter two, we can live forever. And so she says, we're not even allowed to eat it nor touch the fruit. And what do you think would happen if this is the truth that you knew? If you had a commandment that you can't stand on your left foot, nor can you hop. uh, When the commandment was, uh, you just can't hop on your left foot, right? Right? If you stand on it, well, it seems safe now, right? I can stand on my left foot. So I must be safe to hop too. I've never experienced this before. I'm going to try it out. And we start hopping, right? And what's the problem with that? Maybe, maybe we just try it out a little bit, you know? We test it a little bit. Oh, well, that didn't, that didn't bother. And then so then we start hopping up and down. Oh, that's so much fun. Adam, come try this. Adam, come eat this fruit it's delicious. Who knew the commands? Adam did. Right? But notice she didn't ask Adam about the situation. She just went and took it upon herself to uh, go where she was at. They didn't go ask God. They didn't seek God out. They didn't wait till the evening to say, well, God will be here in a few hours. We'll we'll ask him about this because uh, let's get some clarification on this here. Um, I was told this, but no, no, because it wasn't just the fruit that was tempting, was it? It was the knowledge that went with it, the knowledge of good and evil. And if we have that knowledge, then we could be like God, and, and we don't want... Well, I don't want to offend him by just being like him, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that, and then we'll see how it goes, right? That's, you ever justify your sin by that before? Well, I don't I don't want to make him mad, so I'll just go sin. Oh, boy. Um, I, I'm sure I've done that more than once. So if that was our truth that we can't touch it, we can't eat it, when we go ahead and we start handling it, or when maybe the serpent hands it to us, I don't know how he hands it to us. Maybe he had hands back then before he crawled on the ground. There's a debate about that. Um, I touched it, and nothing happened. And I'm probably safe to eat it, too. So she ate, and Adam was like, well, she didn't die. It's not poisonous. I'll try some, too. Immediately, their eyes were open. Notice they're not open until Adam eats. Immediately, their eyes are open after Adam eats. Who has the authority in that situation? In my opinion, it's Adam. Who had the responsibility to protect his wife? Definitely Adam. There's no, I don't have any debate on that one. <laughs> right? Men, we're supposed to watch over our wives. I think God created us first, put us in charge first, and then we are supposed to love her sacrificially. Is Adam loving her sacrificially? Not in that situation. He's sacrificing her, right? Well, let's see what happens to her. I got more ribs. I, I don't know what his justification is for that, you know? It, it doesn't make any sense to me and then they try to cover it up. Immediately, they feel ashamed of their actions. They realize they're naked, and they try to cover up. Have you ever felt like that before? You see it, you do it. You may be in the midst of doing it. You know you're going to be ashamed after it. You do it anyway. So how do we prevent something like this? I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a classic uh, verse on temptation. It says in verse 12 through 13, it says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. I think my problem is, My selfish sin nature um, ignores those um, doors to take, those exit ramps that I could take before I go down this path of sin. God opens one up and says, hey, you could be busy doing this. Um, You haven't read your Bible today. You have uh, plenty of yard work to do today. Uh, And I stay um, narrow-minded on the sin and it creeps at my door, and He sometimes shows me a door and exit right on the way out if I've looked, at least looked down those paths um, earlier in the day. Sometimes we get into those temptations, and we, I, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. I will get to that temptation, I'll say, Lord, you said you provide a way out. And I kind of feel like He says, Well, I sent you. A, The old joke, I sent you a boat, a helicopter and things, and and now you've drowned because you didn't take the way out, and you're drowning in your sin, right? So we need to look our way out. How do we do this? How do we stand? How do we stand firm? What are some of the things that we can do? I think daily pursuing the Lord and his word. When I wake up in the morning, I have an audio adrenaline song that says, I want to say a prayer before my feet hit the ground. I want to give this day to you. And it says, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And um, that's the song. It's one of their uh, softer songs. But I really like it because it reminds me when I wake up every morning, especially when I'm struggling with sin or a grumpy attitude, to give the day to the Lord. And how much a big difference does that make when I start the day with him? It says, pride goes before the fall. Or before the destruction and haughty spirit goes before the fall. When I think I can handle by myself, I'm in trouble, aren't I? So ask yourself, are you standing on your own strength or in the strength of the Lord? How am I gonna do this? Am I gonna stand in my own strength or am I gonna stand in the strength of the Lord? Life is good. I can handle the problems I have set before me. I can I'm Look at me! Look how I've done! I've done so well lately. Every time I say that, I'm like, "Oh, great!" Now this is every time I say that seriously. Every time I go, I've been doing pretty good on that. I go and I check my Bible reading plan and see where I'm at on that. And sometimes I, if I'm caught up, I'll go back and read today's verses because I know that's pride to me. That's pride. Look what I've done. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Um, humble the, I'm going to humble myself, and um, I'm going to give the Lord credit. Praise God for what you've done. Praise God for your protection on my mind and my heart. And I'm going to resist the devil, and he will flee from me. That's James 4, 7. When we depend on the Lord's strength and his promises, he will protect us. He will give us protection, and he is a very loyal God, is he not? If you look at God and he says, I, uh, I the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. That's also a very loyal God in, in that jealousy, right? Because he doesn't want us to take second best. He doesn't want us to take uh, another sin and things. And so he is a loyal God and that he will, no matter if we do turn away from him, he will um, pursue us. Satan is still going, he's still using the same tricks today. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus to overcome the temptations of this world. Let's continue on in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. It says, when the the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walk in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was a woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. At least... She's a little bit more honest than he is, right? He doesn't even say, I was wrong. He said, she did it. You did it. Did. They are kids. They're probably about three days old. I don't know how old they are, but you know, <laughs> you think about it. They're grown people. They're experiencing all these new things. You figure it's taken a year to name all the, the animals, right? They're pretty young in their uh, emotions, in their spiritual walk with the Lord and uh, their physical bodies, they're just starting to get used to them. And who knows when Eve was created, we don't have a timetable. She could have been three days old. So shouldn't he have been watching her more than? Shouldn't he have been standing in, in for her instead of just watching her? Maybe that's that's way. I really think Adam was in eyesight when all this occurred, I think he probably saw because she was able to say, "Here, try some." Right? It's not like he walked up, "Hey, huh? What are you What are you guys doing?" I think he was probably watching. Uh, there's a a video out there by Kirk Cameron. Um, I can't remember the name of it right offhand, but they do a really good job of of walking through this. Um, do you remember what it's It's, it's like un. It's right there, and I can't remember, but it's really, really good. I have it in my office. I'll let you borrow it, but I have to have it back because I like to use it for the youth. Um, very, very good. And it talks about the problem of sin. It talks about the problem of why do good things happen to bad, or why do bad things happen to good people that you can't explain. And he does a really good job of walking through that process. Yes, unstoppable. Thank you. <laughs> It's Unstoppable, so look it up, it's, you can find it. It's I think Liberty University put it out, and you can still find it out there. And if you don't mind having subtitles in Spanish come around, it is on YouTube. So it's called Unstoppable. Adam and Eve, what is their... They need to take responsibility for their actions, right? Did you? Did God know Adam and Eve sinned? Yeah, He did. He knew they sinned. Okay. Does He know where they're at? Yeah, He He knows they're hiding behind the fig tree. He knows that. You know. Think about Think about when your two year old plays hide and go seek with you. You go uh, usually you count and they come out. You found me. Oh, boy, you don't get this concept yet. I think Adam and Eve, they probably were rustling pretty pretty loud behind the leaves. Um, then why do you think, he asks, where are you? Who told you you were naked? What have you done? Why is he asking all these questions that he already knows the answers to, right? What's that? They're kids. they're kids. And I think he doesn't do it for their benefit. I think he does it for... Adam and Eve's benefit. He doesn't do it for God's benefit. He does it for Adam and Eve's benefit. And if you look at this, he does it to a break in the big pot. This is what's happening. This is what you've done. You need to understand the scope of the guilt that is laying on your head here. And Now the, God knows that the relationship is out of whack. It's literally uh, thrown for a loop. He knows even though he hasn't done anything wrong, the Lord hasn't, he's going to have to make it right. He's the only one that can make it right in that relationship. So we ask them questions so they will be able to process what's going on. Now, how do they respond? We've talked about this a little bit. She did it, you did it. That's how Adam replies. The woman gave it to me, the serpent deceived me, is what the woman said. And notice how he says, The woman, you gave me. Right? I'm just going to go out on a limb here, but a, a good lesson to learn from this passage of Scripture is you don't blame God, right? A lot of people like to do that. That is one of our go-tos. When we lose somebody we love, we want to say, why? Why, God? And I think it's okay to do that to somebody you love for a time. But you need to walk through that process, and you need to come to uh, a conclusion that God didn't want them to die either. God doesn't want people to die. He is a God of life. He gave the tree of life. He did not introduce death in the equation. We did. Satan did. And so when we come alongside and things get out of whack, now God becomes a scapegoat. And that's just not simply not what God intended for life to happen. The serpent deceived me. The result is death enters the equation. And we know that God can't be in the presence of sin, and they have sinned. Therefore, they can't be in the presence of God. And this is paradise fallen, right? God has to solve the problem of sin. And this, at this moment, is when Jesus enters into the equation to be the solution. Now, as Jesus entered into in the equation already, I believe he has, because guess what? In John chapter 1, it says he was there in the beginning. He created. Everything was created through him. All right? Even the solution to our sin was created uh, from the beginning. God was willing to sacrifice his son so that we might have life. To give up your kid for somebody else that doesn't deserve it just blows my mind away. But instead of owning their decisions, Adam and Eve, they try to pass the blame. The fruit, it's supposed, it was supposed to be special. I was saving that fruit for a special occasion. Until the time was right, I was going to try that fruit out. Does this sound like any justification for, for sin? Even Adam says, I trusted her. I trusted her not to touch that, and she did it, and she led me down that path. She touched it, and she was fine. I don't know. I don't understand what happened. You, it was your fault. You gave her to me. Before this, I was never tempted to go to that tree. I was naming animals. I was fine with the color blue just being the color blue. That was last week. You'll have to listen to that one. Yeah, he, he was there. He was there for that episode, right? Uh, there was just fish. That was also in there. This is your fault, God. This is your fault. This is classic triangulation, right? We learned about this from Howard Love. Do you guys remember that in the when we were at the Pier Marquette? where you take and you have somebody that's trying to get, it, get you to follow the rules. So in my case, maybe to my kids, I would be, I want them to follow the rules, and they want to break the rules by going down the wrong path. And so they create in their mind, we do this too, that dad is the bad guy. He's the bad guy. He wants me to follow the rules. He's always telling me, no, 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 no. But if I do it, it's fun. It's exciting. Sure, I could get hurt. Sure, I might even die. But it's fun, and it's that thrill that I'm seeking, and I'm going to defy my parents. And so the sin becomes good, dad becomes bad, and I triangulate. I'm in the center. Bad dad, good sin, you forced me to do this. I didn't want to sin, but since you get nagging at me all the time, I'm going to go do it again. Sound familiar? It's classic triangulation, right? We don't want to take responsibility for our own actions, so we put the blame on our authority figure in our lives instead of accepting it and dealing with the problem. We do this all the time to justify sinning. We want to make sin the reward, God the problem. God, you forced me to sin because you gave her to me. And this is where we need to take responsibility. No, no. I did that. I chose this. James 4, 8. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. It was in the Bible before we learned about it from Howard. It's good. Right? Right? King David does this too. When he finally admits that he has a problem, when he's caught in his sin by who? The Lord. He doesn't say, "Well, if we didn't have rooftops, I would have been a problem. We could have baths in the basement. Would it have been great." No, he doesn't say that. He said, "I sinned. I sinned." But what's what's the deal with David? is when the prophet Nathan confronted him, David said, through the little story or the parable that Nathan gave, he says, that man deserves to die. And then he turns around and says, David, you are that man. Right? And then he comes along and he says, you're right, I am. I deserve death. Adam and Eve deserve death. Who can give them life? Only God the Father. And he Nathan says, you are not going to die today. But there's consequences for your actions, aren't there? The baby died for David. And for Adam and Eve, we have um, them kicking kicked out of the Garden of Eden. When King David finally admitted it he com- that he committed adultery and murder, he confessed and repented. Do you know in that span of time between... Uh, the adultery and the death of Uriah, that David, and then the year or two—I think it was a whole year afterwards. David did not write a s- single psalm. He did not write a single psalm, and you guys might learn about that. You're doing First and Second Kings next year, so you might you might learn about that. That's where I learned about it in CBS. Um, so that was something that was—I was like, wow. But then you get Psalm 32, Psalm 51. You get um, the two other really, really good ones. I can't think of what they are around of hand. But you're like, wow, God showed up, and he did some amazing things there. And wow, we have a spirit of the living God working within us to control our sin nature. And like we read in the call to worship, I'm going to read Romans 8, 8 and 9 again. It says, that's why those who are still under the control of their sin nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Do you have the Spirit of living God living in you? How do I know? Do you feel guilt when you sin? That's the Spirit of God working, sometimes on the front side, sometimes on the back side. And what I mean by that is, have you committed your life to Christ? On the front side, when you start to recognize it as sin, then you're like, the the Spirit's already working to bring you to him. On the back side, after you accept him and you're trying to follow him in obedience and walk in sanctification, he is convicting us when we um, stray away. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And as I get older and I mature in my faith, my sarcasm becomes less and less because I see the pain that I can have when I throw out that sarcasm a lot. I was very, very sarcastic, very mean. I was a mean kid. I had to realize that and I had to recognize that. Just a jerk. Uh, because I figured if they couldn't hurt me, then I, then I would never get hurt. So I'd hurt them before they could hurt me. And if they had a comeback, I had one better. And that is not a way to live if the Spirit of God is living in you. And just think about that testimony that I had for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's not, we don't put on a nice, pretty out exterior and be dead on the inside. Jesus calls those whitewashed tombs. And Satan still tricks us today. Um, And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus to overcome the temptations of the world. So let's go ahead and read 14 through 19. I'm not going to do all of chapter 3 today because um, we're going to talk about Cain and Abel, and it'll walk right into it. It's really, really neat to see what God does with life and how we might say to ourselves, this is a little bit of a tangent, our kids, our kids will, will save us. They'll be our salvation Nah, that didn't work so well, did it, right? They they can overcome sin, right? The first two kids that were born, one of them dies right away, right? It doesn't look good for the home team. That's all I got to say. But God has redemption in that as well. Genesis 3, 14 through 19 says, Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will you will strike his heel. And then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in the pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Just since you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return, signifying death has entered his relationship but I put a new hope. You're like, that's the title you got out of that one? Well, I could have put the curse, but in that curse, God offers hope, doesn't he? He offers hope through the first time he offers offering on the Messiah. The consequences of sin are like the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Even if we think we're getting away with it, we will all stand before the Lord. and He knows all that we do. Even if we were thinking, well, I'll sin because it's going to do some good for the community. No, God says, don't do that either. That's in Romans. Curse the serpent, who we know was Satan. right? We know that from, uh, I think it's Revelation chapter 12 tells us that it's Satan. We'll, you will crawl on your belly and grovel in the dust as long as you live, Groveling in the dust. This was interesting. I learned this from Baruch this week. In the King James Version, dust says, thou shalt eat. Thou shalt eat, also an interpretation is to devour or to eat. To point to Satan being all about death, devouring, um, destroying in a sense. His offspring will be death from this point on. Okay, And from this point on, Satan is all about trying to take us as many with him to hell. Curse the woman. So did you know that pain in pregnancy is proof that God exists? It's a different way to look at pain in pregnancy. It's proof that God exists because he cursed the woman to have that. And so, if there's pain in pregnancy, there is um, also that. Why? Because it's straining. Life is straining to come into this, into existence, into a place that they're now going to die. They don't necessarily fit in this world because we aren't made for for death. We're made for life. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why God did this. Um, so what commandment were they given at this point, Adam and Eve? In the end of chapter 2, God tells them what? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Right? They had a choice. They could listen to God, be fruitful and multiply, or they could listen to Satan and choose death. Do you see that? That is, that is quite the conundrum. I was really surprised. I'd never really seen this before. Like, this black and white before and they could choose to follow God and do what they're supposed to do or they can get distracted by the things that they're not supposed to do and what do they choose they choose the things they're not supposed to do and we'll talk about this next week with Cain and Abel at the end of uh, chapter 3 it says uh, they laid together and they had kids well they went back to obedience then okay okay we're going to talk about that next week. So I thought that was real. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I never seen that before. So uh, it's right there. Open your eyes, Shane. So maybe it's just the wind. The Lord decided to reveal it to me. Be fruitful and multiply. The pain in pregnancy shows us life is going to be much more difficult to bring life into a dying world. The giver of life woman will struggle with death forever. She was supposed to be the bringer of life. And now she's going to struggle with death. And that is, I think, the, the reminder and why we have pain in pregnancy. Next, there will be a constant desire to rule over your husband. And in today's age, I'd say most men allow that. Most men would be just happy for the woman to rule the household. They'd be happy for the woman to be the breadwinner that's not how it was designed. That was not how it was set up to be. And it is, um, the Lord wants the men to take the responsibility, the men to have a co-partner with him, but have the final say in the decisions to be made. God said, this desire is futile because of this curse. He will rule over you. And what does this mean? well, this is not popular today, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is a physical difference between men and women. There's a physical difference. Men are generally stronger than women. Now, are there girls that can run faster than I can? Yes, there are. It pains for me to say that, but there are out there. I'm a very fast um, man. I can beat most people in a foot race. And Um, generally speaking, I'm stronger than most women, not everyone, but most, right? That is the design because we are supposed to be the protectors. What did David, what did David, David did this too, but, um, what did Adam mess up? He did not protect his wife. He was supposed to protect Eve. He dropped the ball. He let her have the responsibility. And because of that, That is some of the reasons why I think this curse came into being. Men must choose to be gentle. This means strength under control. Men are able to compartmentalize their feelings. Men can take one thing and think about it solely. Okay, This is why men can be great carpenters, and great fathers, but they can't be great fathers and carpenters at the same time all the time. Does that make sense? Or maybe they're a great gardener, great carpenter, and a great mechanic, but they can't think about those three things all at the same time. They have to focus on gardening, and then they focus on uh, carpentry, then they focus on the mechanics. That's how we work. We are very single-minded. What's the the book? uh, Women are waffles and men are spaghetti, isn't it? It might be Flipped Men or Spaghetti, Women or Waffles, but that's the concept of that, that book. It's a pretty decent book. Okay. On the other hand, women can think about four things at once. They can think about th- these things, and they can have experienced emotion in all three things all at the same time. So if you have something that's really bad and something that's really good, they can be crying and laughing all at the same time for two different reasons. And we all look at them and we're like, the Lord bless you because I don't know how to handle this sometimes. And generally speaking, at that point, it's good to ask for permission. Can I give you a hug? And you don't say anything at all. But if they say no to hug, then you might want to uh, find another room. So, right? This makes women great nurturers. Right? We talked about women being the beauty of God last week, and they are also the nurturers. They come alongside, and they can feel the emotions in themselves and their babies and, and their husbands all at the same time. We can't do that unless we like focus, focus, and focus. Not as easy. It's not as easy for us. That's great for a nurturer, for a mother, for uh, being about life. It's not the best when it comes to like the battlefield. Right? That's one reason, that's one big reason I've heard why you send men to war and you don't send women to war because they can't process all the emotion all the time with it where guys can compartmentalize. That's also why you have PS, PTSD because they compartmentalize it, they lock it away, and then it starts to leak out. And that's dangerous if you don't deal with it. With all that said, it is through women's offspring that Satan will be, through woman's offspring that Satan will be defeated. This is the first promise of salvation from the Lord. And oh, I can't remember the, the fun Latin term there. Uh, the, the Savior will be born of a woman. We know this to be Jesus who was born of Mary, right? It's the first promise of the messiah being born of a virgin and finally the curse of the man when you're disciplining that's our final point who do you always save to last In my household it's generally the oldest gets saved to last because they should have known better um or it's the one that, that you told directly that they should or shouldn't do this, and they didn't listen, they didn't pass it on, their siblings, the one got caught up in the mess, and now they are in trouble. So I believe that's why man is saved at last. Man, they'll have to work hard all his life to earn a living. And it says uh, the struggle there means the huffing of, of air through your nostrils. So it means you're going to have to work hard. To be fruitful and multiply was the, the command that you were given just became hard. It would be very difficult to survive because God cursed the ground. He does not curse man. He curses the ground. That, I thought that was interesting, too, that our our curse is more exterior. God eventually sets up a system for sacrifices He sets up a system of high priests that have certain tasks to offer sacrifices at the altar. This was just a deferred payment. They call this an atonement for our sin because Jesus Christ was going to be our redemption, right? He's our redeemer. He redeemed it for us. Adam and Eve and God's people, all the way up till Jesus, when he becomes first like us and then he becomes the high priest priest by being sinless, then offers himself for our sins, this alone gives us hope. We find this a description of this in Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. It says, Therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of his people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So the first line of defense, when we are tempted, he will give us a way out, is to cry on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I find that takes the intensity of the temptation down at least by half. Every time when you just say the name of Jesus, Jesus, I need your help. Help me, Jesus. The intensity goes way down. I'm losing here. Help me out. It's okay to have desperation prayers, just as long as they're not all your prayers, right? Not only can he help us, he gives us hope. He gives us direction. He can also forgive us Our sins. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. When we confess to the Lord, we are admitting we are we cannot overcome the sin by ourselves. Without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are nothing. He then washes us white as snow. Our path becomes a little more clear. Our hope for the future is restored as he has offered us a home in heaven. Right? I've gone to prepare a place for you. The question is, will you surrender your heart and follow in obedience the commands that which, that to which he has called us? Are you willing to surrender your life to Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Because Satan is still using the same tricks today. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus to overcome the temptations of this world if we have any hope for the future. And I believe we do through Jesus Christ, right? Let's pray. Lord, you are a God who loves us. You take care of us. You want what's best for us. When we turn to the right or the left and we stray off the path and we think we can do it on our own, Lord, you reach out a hand ready to receive us back every time. Lord, I pray that you would continue to press on our hearts what it means to walk in obedience with you, that we would treat that co-worker with compassion and kindness so that it may be reflected. If not, you'll heap coals on their head. That's fine. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be with this community as we um, pour out our hearts into their And our lives into this community through the school and through different things. I pray that we would be making an impact for the better. Guide and direct us in your ways. And give us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. Let's read this together. I think it's on the PowerPoint there. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day... Help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus like disciple making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen. Take this opportunity to go out into the harvest field and look for opportunities to share the love of Jesus. You are dismissed.